Bandwidth for all shows on the Aussie Tech Heads network is supplied by Aussie Tech Heads Web Hosting. For a fast, affordable and reliable Australian server with fantastic support, contact Aussie Tech Heads Web Hosting at aussietechheads.com.au. Aussie Tech Heads, Australia's best hosting service. that time of the week. It's time for Aussie Tech Heads and this is episode 375. How are you guys doing? Very well, I hope. Well, tonight, I'm Glenn, by the way. I don't think I ever introduced myself, but my name's Glenn and I'm going to be joined in a moment by a few of the other other crew, other members of the uh, panellist crew. And uh, But before we do, Aussie Tech Heads is brought to you by the Aussie Tech Heads Web Hosting, athwebhosting.com.au. And if you go there, you will find... Uh, Australian servers, professional web hosting uh, production suites, you might say. There's there's over 201 click installs of many programs, Joomla, WordPress, Drupal, all that sort of stuff. It's all there. It's uh, easy, Oz commerce and all that sort of stuff. Surveys, it's all there. So go and have a look at that, athwebhosting.com.au. From not $5.95 per month, oh, good stuff, good stuff. All right, now, uh, hello. Let's go. Uh, who's up first? Jace. Hello, Jace. How are you going? Hey, how's it going this afternoon? Yeah, good. Good stuff. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, you know, just this and that. This and that. that and Nothing this. particularly exciting this time. Just reading up and tweeting and writing articles about wearable technology. Ah, good stuff. And on the other side of the, in the other corner, in the red corner, is Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I'm good. How are we both? Good, very well. And you've got the, uh, I see you're very Australian this week, and that's obviously because of Australia Day. Of my citizenship. No, you have Australia Day. <laughs> what do you mean, your citizenship? <laughs> you were, no, no, I'm born and bred here. I'm, oh, okay, I'm right. Australian than Vegemite Sandwich. Yeah, cool. Especially yeah, since craft is owned by a United States company these days. <laughs> so um, we'll wait for the anthem to finish. Everything is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you we should be standing up, son. You should be standing up for the anthem. I am. Can't you see? <laughs> Hand no, on heart. I'm just really short. So, yeah, <laughs> it is Australia Day. I think it's Sunday, isn't it? And uh, we've got the public holiday on Monday, yep. of course. So uh, I hope everyone has a happy Australia Day this week. So, uh, yes. Well, this year even. Yes. So that's good. Uh, all right. Now, Shane, we're back to you. Back to you all, all, all of a sudden. We're always back to you first. What uh, You've yes. got the chronology, chronology of tech, and you're going to tell us what has happened over the past 200 or so years. Not in all one episode, hopefully, but uh, you're going to tell us <laughs> what's happened uh, this week, particularly over in history. So where do you want to start with that? Where are you taking us? I will start. I will start Tom Merritt's chronology of tech on January 20, 1981, the inauguration of US president. And there's kind of a theme for the first three of them. Once I saw one, I kind of had to you know, group all do the others them. together. Yep. The inauguration of US President Ronald Reagan is the world's first broadcast to feature live teletext subtitles for the hearing impaired. 
that was January 20, 1981. Yeah, right. I never got into, never got into subtitles. I mean, into teletext, I mean. I didn't get into subtitles no. either, but I, but I never got into teletext. Like it was just, uh, I don't know. You, I, I don't think I ever had a TV. You need a special box, didn't you, back then? And tune your TV to Channel 7. So, yeah, if you didn't get Channel 7, you couldn't get teletext. But No. It was that's right. rubbish anyway. Uh, yeah, keep going with your flow. Sorry to interrupt your flow. Yeah. No, no, that's right. I mean, I, I thrive on subtitles when I'm watching SBS and all those cultural movies. You don't need subtitles uh, for SBS. It's just a lot of oohs and ahs. <laughs> Next one. No, no, I watch it for the professional content. Um, January 20, also 2009, another inauguration. Uh, this time of President Barack Obama became the most widely streamed presidential inaugura- inauguration uh, to this date. According to Akamai's Net Usage Index, web traffic peaked at 5.4 million requests per minute and two terabytes of data per second. Yeah, that's pretty big, isn't it? That's massive. Yes. That, that might, Next one and the four. just might uh, might just might eclipse uh, this show, just by a yeah, beast. Just a little bit. Yeah, a beast. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Next one. Don't think it's the time zone difference thing. Yeah. January twenty one, nineteen fifty seven, NBC taped and broadcast President Dwight D Eisenhower's second inauguration address, uh, further popularising the taping. Excuse me, taping on video. Right, right. Uh, have you still got videotapes? That's a good question. I, I've got a few. Of, I'm sort of in the process of moving them onto DVD, but, oh, you know, getting time to do all this stuff. But do you still have videotapes? Yeah, some of the um, kids' stuff's on video, like cartoons and animated oh, yeah. movies and stuff. Oh, yeah. How about you, Jace? You still got videotapes? No, I haven't got anything. <laughs> I gave all mine away. Um when my uh, VCR died years ago and I figured everything I was going to uh, DVD at that stage. So I just put on eBay if anybody wants it. I think somebody bought a big box of stuff for like a dollar or something off me. I was like, and they were very happy too, because it was just before school holidays. They go, I've got nothing for the kids to watch. Now I've got a box of Star Wars and Star Trek uh, videos. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Look, I don't know. Like when I was younger, I did tape heaps onto videos. At one stage I had about 600 tapes. Uh, I've only got probably 30 now, the last remnants of the collection. Uh, look, I was pretty brutal. I probably, you know, probably back then I was collecting shows, but nowadays it's all on Foxtel every five minutes, isn't it? You know, so I think the only show yeah. that I taped pretty much uh, all of that you probably can't get on Foxtel, or whatever, I taped all of the the Late Show with the DGen, and uh, I know you can oh, get yeah. you can yep. get the uh, compilation. Funny. Yeah, you can get the compilation. Champagne comedy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can get the compilation DVDs, but you can't get the individual episode. As far as I know, as far as I know, I'm I'm quite open to be corrected. But as far as I know, that's right. And uh, yeah, you know the good, the olden days, and and barjars and all that bar sort of jars. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the one episode where they had Lucky Grills on there yeah. playing his barjars character? That was hilarious. He was sitting in the audience, wasn't he? <laughs> I think from memory. Yeah. <laughs> he went to arrest everybody. <laughs> Look, Barjars has actually released um, on video. I've just, I think I've got the video. It's in. It's all its little, uh, not 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 the original Barjars, but the late show Barjars. They've put all yeah. their skits together. They're all their overdubs together and released it as one video. So I'm not sure if it's on DVD or not. But it's probably if you eBay it, you probably find it. If you don't know what we're talking about, Barjars, it's just a, an old Australian cop show. With a guy, Lucky Grills, he was he was a he was a big fella, 
and uh, and the degen overdubbed the show, and it was quite funny. It was it was it was quite funny. And yeah, it's a bit like mystery science theatre, where mm. you uh, just make up your own words based on what the actions are on the screen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, I liked, I enjoyed most the the, the handbrake Yui's at the at the mention of McDonald's chips or something. Yeah. <laughs> you go yeah, McDonald's well, they, chips. They need, they need a bit of uh, acceleration to catch up with the baddies. So he's. <laughs> He sort of lifts up like this, and you hear this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get going now. That'll help us catch him. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's good. So uh, yeah, so no, no videotapes over there. Uh, Shane, better keep going, please, before we get uh, too too into our reminiscing mode. <laughs> uh, January 22, 1984, here come all the IT ones. Uh, Apple aired the famous 1984 commercial for the Apple Macintosh, directed by Ridley Scott. That's right, and uh, and also if you didn't catch the Aussie Mac Zone this week, it is the Macintosh's birthday, the twenty fifth, I think, of January, and he's and the Macintosh computer is thirty years old this year, thirty years old, and that that uh, commercial that Shane was just talking about, uh, the nineteen eighty four commercial for the Macintosh was the launch of the Macintosh computer, uh, so you can see that commercial online. It's a very talked about, uh, yeah, as as that. As you said, Shane, famous, it's very, it's very famous and talked about commercial uh, because it pushed the boundaries. Uh, go and have a look at, go and have a look at it. It'll, uh, it'll be interesting if you haven't seen it. Continue. Based on nine, 1984. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. Uh, so the next one, January 24, 1984, the original Macintosh was introduced, becoming the first commercially successful personal computer to feature a mouse and graphic user interface rather than the command line interface. Oh, yeah. That was January 24. Uh, And then the last couple we've got, January 26, Lotus begins selling uh, its spreadsheet application for Microsoft DOS called 123. It would quickly become the most popular spreadsheet software but not make the transition to Windows well and fall behind Excel permanently. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like they actually made a better DOS DOS version of a spreadsheet than a graphical interface version of a spreadsheet, which I would have thought a, a GUI version would be easier. Well, you would think well, it would be easier for the end user, but but yeah, look, Lotus One Two Three. Look, that has that has was around until probably recently. I I don't think it's, it has been dead that long. In fact, you might still be able to buy it somewhere, you know, around the eBay or something. Um, look, the Lotus Suite wasn't too bad. It was a very cost-effective alternative to Microsoft Office, and I think when because it wasn't selling, it wasn't a major play. I think they were in, at the end trying to do a Bill Gates and give it away with a lot of or very cheaply, about thirty bucks or something for the whole suite, which might have been word processor, a spreadsheet, and a database. I think from uh, from memory. But yeah, Lotus One Two Three. I remember that. Hmm. Uh, yes, Shane. Uh, one more? Uh, yeah, okay, if we're going to do one more, I might jump that one and scroll down to uh, January 30, 2007, Microsoft released Windows Vista for home use. Oh, one of the biggest go. mistakes I've ever made. Yeah, it wasn't too. Oh, look, Vista. Closely, closely followed by Windows 8. <laughs> oh, look, neither of them have served me any harm, given me any dramas, really. Like Windows Vista, yeah, it needed a, a good machine to run on, but at the end of the day, I didn't have too many dramas. Uh, Windows 8, same. I've got, I'm running an 8 now, 8.1 now. I've got no real dramas. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. So, all right. So, that's that's all you got there, Shane. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, as far as they go, yeah. Yeah, all right. Good. All right. So, next up, we're going to have some stories. Get into some stories. So, uh, we'll be back shortly. 
Let's get into the stories right now, shall we? Look, I'm going to, because I'm talking, I'm going to start. Now, last week we spoke about Microsoft and XP. It's, you know, XP's ending its life on uh, April 8th. So Microsoft are pretty determined that they want this to happen. They're, they're, you know, they're putting a lot of press out there saying that your PCs are going to be vulnerable and they're going to crash, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. But uh, one of the more uh, crazy, or what has been said to have has been called crazy uh, lines from Microsoft is they've said, if you put your XP machine in a cupboard, keep it away from an internet, an intranet or USBs or any external uh, uh, drives or disks, that it will still be infected. So that was, the, that was one of the more crazy things. But uh, a spokesman, this is how a article read that uh, Microsoft had distributed. Being disconnected to an internal network or using a USB or CD to transfer information may reduce the attack surface, but will leave you with vulnerabilities to several types of attacks once support ends. Aside from a few special situations, keeping your Windows XP machine in a sealed room on its own is not the right choice for your business. And that was uh, from a document that Microsoft had published. Uh, security experts said that customers that continue to use XP on systems still connected to the internet after the deadline could be hit with a flood of zero-day vulnerabilities. But for disconnected PCs, it's hard to see how this might be vulnerable, uh, said the experts, the unnamed, un unseen faceless experts. Though Microsoft is ending XP support and patches, the software, the, the Microsoft will be providing anti-malware signature updates for XP until July 2015. But uh, look, if you, if, look, if seriously, if you still run an XP, just dump it. Dump it for goodness sake. Windows 7 will still run on your, on that XP, pretty much still run on that XP machine if you have to, and probably a lot better. And so will Windows 8. Mm. Yeah, they had uh, stories this week that uh, HP is pushing Windows 7 again, backed by popular demand, and apparently Microsoft's not too happy about that. But no. they're trying to push ahead with Windows 9 so they can just completely get rid of the Windows 8 problem that uh, has been a major issue. And uh, don't forget something that was mentioned uh, I heard this week as well is that a lot of ATMs run on Windows XP. Oh, really? They won't be patched after 2015 unless you ring up Microsoft and say, here's lots of money, please make a patch if there's any required. But uh, there are also some that run on Windows XP embedded, and apparently that's going to be uh, supported until 2016. How does it so go? a little bit longer. Now, I'm not expecting you to, to know the answer to this, but I'll kind of throw it at you anyway. How, do you, how would it go if you were to run these programs in an XP mode on Windows 7? Do you reckon? Like, say, that was the next thing I was going to mention. Apparently, that can be a bit of a problem as well. So, you have to be careful <laughs> running <laughs> internet enabled stuff in Windows XP mode. Get somebody to update the application, and then you won't need to run it in XP mm. mode anymore. So, look, I know, I know that these businesses have had quite some time to make the transition. And I guess funding is probably a big factor in why they've stayed where they are. Uh, why is that? Also, the problem is Joe Programmer wrote the application about seven years ago and he doesn't work here anymore. We don't know anyone who can rewrite it. We don't know what it does or how it works, but we mm. need to use it every single day. It's the most important thing in the whole world to our company. <laughs> well, well, Joe, the Joe Programmer just doubled his hourly rate and has sent a letter off saying, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are Joe the Programmer, well done. Well done indeed. So uh, get in contact with, with your local bank. <laughs> Uh, now, I think, Shane, you had, did you have any more to add to that story? 
about Windows 7 back. Yeah, I actually had the, yeah, the same story that Warlock just touched on. HP is bringing back Windows 7 by popular demand and making it pretty difficult to buy computers with Windows 8. HP apparently wow. sent a boatload of emails out to US uh, shoppers over the weekend pointing out that Windows 7 is back before offering customers up to $150 of savings for people buying a PC loaded with Windows 7 rather than Windows 8. Uh, US visitors to hb.com.com are being uh, presented with Windows machines by default. There's not a single Windows 8 PC listed in the standard unless you start to customise the option. Um, Even Android tablets are being displayed centre stage while you have to go looking around for Windows 8 offerings. And it it finishes off to sort of say it'll be interesting to see what direction HP Australia choose to go in because obviously the story is more kind of US centric but um, mm. I don't suppose you can add anything to that can you Warlock I was just, just going to ask <laughs> I Jace. don't have any insider information <laughs> I was just, just going to ask Jace like, it, it, why, why is Windows 7 better uh, why is it perceived to be better uh, and, or is it because it better? doesn't have the metro crap it's the only thing yeah. that people are worried about is the it metro is screen Apparently, uh, Windows 9 is going to have the option to run uh, to uh, put uh, Metro app shortcuts in your taskbar like you can do with the other ones and launch them from there. We don't know if mm. it's going to be full screen still or if it's going to be windowed or something like that. But everybody really, really, really hates Metro. Um, well, personally, I think Metro should have only been there for tablets. Yep. And if you've got a desktop, just stick with the start menu. Everybody loves it. They're used to it. Nobody wants to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to retrain their staff on how to, you know, slide these great big icons around the screen. And if you press the Windows button, something else pops up. And how do you shut it down? Well, you've got to know there's a charms bar. So you slide your mouse in the bottom or top right corner and then this little bar comes out and then you click on this button and then that pops up another menu and then you click on shut down and then you go yes and it's just added in a lot more complexity when you've been training your staff and everybody has windows xp windows 7 at home they're used to it and now you just throw this curveball at people and it's just a big expense and headache for companies Mm. and i know 8.1 brings back a type of start button and you can get classic start menu plugins and stuff that are really really good i use it myself no problem, and my computer boots straight into the desktop every time. I don't see the Metro ever, but um, are you it's on eight point one that way, and people really hate it. Yeah, yeah. 8.1. So that's a set. Yeah, that's a setting, isn't it? In eight point one, it boots straight into the desktop. Look, I have uh, right. calls. Not not a not a great deal, but I, I've I've uh, had a few calls uh, of late. Uh, you just answer the phone, and they go, "I want to go back to Windows Seven. I just bought the, a laptop. I hate it." Help <laughs> me, Glenn. You're my only hope. I know, and uh, that's pretty sad. But uh, I just said, uh, "Look, look. Really, I think if you just could understand Windows Eight, like." Glenn says, "Well, my rates have just doubled, and uh, <laughs> Joe, I'm, I've taken some hit, the, some tips from Joe, the programmer. And yeah. <laughs> but like the the Metro, to me, I explain it is you hit the Windows key, the Start button is is now a whole screen. That's your Start button yep. is the whole screen. Yep. Then you just go back to the desktop because uh, the guy the, uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, this guy I was talking to, he he had no idea there was a desktop." You know, and he's just going, yeah. I hate this tile thing. I hate it. I said, yeah, well, what about the, you just use it as desktop? And he says, what are you talking about? I said, well, I have to I explain how to get there. And I haven't heard back from him. Um, but I said, look, the only way to go back to 7 is you've got to buy it. 
which is a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but getting back to the story, Windows Seven is back and HP up to one hundred and fifty dollars savings. Where are the savings coming from? It's not because you're saving it on Windows Eight. Like uh, it's not one hundred and fifty bucks. So obviously that's just a little tagline to sell some PCs, I guess. Promotion. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're giving credits. $150 savings on our latest PCs. Yeah, so I don't know what... I don't know. I Look, look. I'm all for going forward. I think, you know, go and get Windows. There's nothing wrong with it. Once you understand that you can just use it in desktop mode all day, every day, and you never have to... Well, you probably have to see the tile screen once or twice, but the tile screen is actually good. I like. I don't mind it because you, you go there, you start typing where you want to go, control panel or uninstall program, or and you only have to start typing these things and, and then it searches and it comes up and with a whole list of what you're looking for and it's a really great search way to search for stuff. I think a lot of it is uh, perception. You know, back when mm. they first launched Vista and everyone's like, Vista sucks, don't get Vista, Vista's awful and they had that, uh, they call it Mojave experiment where they brought out a lot of people who are just general public and said, okay, Forget about Vista. We're not doing that anymore. This is our new operating system. We call it Mojave. Mm. Try this out and see what you think. And they tried it out. And they're like, well, that's much better than Vista. Yeah, I love that. And they go, well, it's really Vista. We just called it Mojave because <laughs> you don't know what Vista is. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. We just changed the name uh, to you right now. But if you click on this button, you can see it says mm. Windows Vista. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean... It ran a bit of a dog on my computer that I had at the time, but um, once I got Windows, so I went to the first service pack came through. It went a lot faster. Then I got Windows Seven, mm. and it was fast as well. So that's right. It was very resource hungry, but uh, but once you got past that, if you got you got a better machine or something, and that's why if you've got a machine yeah. out there now that has got Vista on it, you can flip seven or eight on it. It's going to fly because it's a, it's a really yeah. good machine. It's a real good machine. And it's just the just the perception of Windows Eight. Everyone's heard Windows Eight is crap. Everyone's heard it's got these big new interface that nobody understands how to use and everything's mm. moved into different locations. You don't can't do anything anymore and it's too complicated and people probably think that drivers don't work when in fact they work really well. In fact, if you plug in new software, a lot of the times the even from Windows 7 onwards, you plug in your new hardware and it goes checking the Windows update site for a driver and you're like, yeah, sure, you've been doing that for years <laughs> and that never came back with anything. And then yeah. suddenly it installs it and you're like, holy crap, it, it actually That's, worked. I don't yeah. even need this driver disk or whatever they've given you because it, mm. it just works straight from the Windows update and it's really good. But because the perception from everywhere in the uh, media is mm. Windows 8's a piece of rubbish, don't install it, nobody wants to, which is why Microsoft wants to try mm. and distance themselves from it and go straight to Windows 9. Oh, which they've said is basically Windows 8 with a couple extra things, uh, nothing too much changed, and it's got the proper start button and desktop, which you can boot to all the time, and that's it. Mm. Still Windows 8, but we've got to call it Windows 9 <laughs> because call it Windows else. 8's got such a bad name. So. Yeah, well, every second version of Windows is a hit, isn't it? So Vista slumped, yeah. 7 was a hit, 8 slumped. Now, hopefully, uh, 9. 9's going to be a hit. So, um, yeah, look, I've got no dramas. Keep with the odd numbers, people. Yeah. That's a strategy. Yeah, but I've got no problems Can't with that. wrong. Yeah, no, look, I've got no problems. I think going just quickly, just going back to Vista and that, I think uh, more advanced, uh, more advanced hands-on stuff. I think was a bit more difficult networking and maybe permissions and all that sort of stuff might have been a bit screwy. But uh, but other than that, I think just a normal uh, Joe user, uh, Joe programmer's brother, he was he's, he was fine, didn't he? He was fine. All right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So. Uh, that's good. We got heaps more, heaps more, heaps more, heaps more, and we're going to get to them pretty soon. Stay with us. Oh, Skypes. 
Okay, now let's see where we're going to go now. Look, I've got another story. Uh, look, I've got a story. How's this? JB Hi-Fi. Now, remember last year, I think, well, look, we probably, I didn't probably push all these stories through to the show, but JB Hi-Fi, they just get ripped off all the time. There's always people stealing stuff. And, and so I don't know what it is about JB Hi-Fi. But anyway, down in South Australia in Modbury, $45,000 worth of iPhones were stolen. $45,000. That, that was 51 new Apple iPhones were stolen on Sunday, January 12, at about 3 p.m. Four men. Here they are. I've got a photo of them. Four men entered the, uh, the, the store. Uh, two distracted staff. The other two broke into a locked cupboard and stole 51 new iPhones that approximately valued at $45,000. Uh, police believe this is an organised group working nationally targeting electronic devices at large stores and shopping complexes. So what is it with this JB Hi-Fi? They're just copping it all the time. So, um, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. It wasn't <laughs> overly they exciting. Have, they even have people's security people standing inside the doorways and stuff when you go there. Obviously must have been a big distraction. Like they must yeah. like, maybe one of them's just gone Wait, mental. Um, yeah, well, maybe one of them's just gone had a mental attack, you know, and maybe started smashing. Somebody just things. stood in the middle of the store and went, "Oh my god, what's that?" <laughs> and then everybody ran out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Oh, uh, Shane, what what have you got? El what else have you got for us? Uh, the next one I'll do is a story about Google Glass. Yes, please. Google Glass story. This is the one where um, I don't know if we actually covered the lady getting booked in the first place, but uh, it, it starts off by saying, remember the woman who got the ticket wearing Google Glass while driving? Well, her citation has been dismissed by a court commissioner who said he who said he found no proof the device was operating at the time. It goes on to sort of say that the court, the court case saw technology entrepreneur Cecilia Abadi challenged a citation given alongside a speeding ticket for using visual monitor in her car while driving. By visual monitor, the ticket was in fact referring to wearing Google Glass. But Court Commissioner John Blair uh, dismissed, the, uh, dismissed that citation, uh, according to Reuters. He quite rightly points out that there's no surefire way of telling whether the, her smart glasses were uh, turned on at the time. And it goes on to say that um, there's no testimony to say that it was operating, so no one sort of produced any proof that it was operating. Uh, during the hearing, it came to light that the Highway Patrol officer, this is the interesting bit, Keith Oddly, hadn't planned Very to odd. issue a ticket uh, to Abadi for wearing Google Glass until she got a little bit feisty. She got a little argumentative <laughs> about whether or not it was legal for her to wear them, he explained. The case sets an interesting precedent, though it's far from clear if wearing Google Glass while driving is safe or not. One thing is certain, you can expect a, a rash of other cases like this before the matter of wearable glasses is sorted out. So, um, yeah, if she hadn't got sort of argumentative, he wasn't actually even going to give her a ticket for the Google Glass thing. Was it, I wonder, was this the same case that the, that the judge thought, oh, listen, we better not go down this path and actually make a decision because of the precedent that it might set because i think he was i think they could have been worried about well it's just a, like a little set of glasses isn't it like and when you said before in in car vision equipment or something you called it you called it a visual, visual monitor. monitor yeah uh or a visual monitor is that like a gps is that like a revision mirror uh re, re vision mirror thing 
well, that's, that's the thing. See, they got to make the distinction. Mm. The Google Glass should be classed as heads-up display, which is legal in cars, and not a monitor, which is like a DVD player or something playing a movie. She's not watching a movie while she's driving. She could, but you know, <laughs> just because you can do it doesn't mean that your iPhone is not sitting there being a GPS and is instead playing a Pixar movie. It's going to be a GPS. So while you're driving. Google Glass could give you GPS directions as well. And unless you specifically activate them and look up to read it and stuff, it's just not doing anything. So I think there's also a lady. Also, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say there's also a lady in trouble about wearing the Google Glass into a cinema. Apparently, she's. That been... was my story. Oh, okay. Well, you, you go with that <laughs> I was one. I'm just going to segue into that. <laughs> you just hit me off with the pass. Well, you yeah. go, Jace, because I'm man, going for memory. A man who went into a cinema oh, in man. the US wearing Google Glass was interrogated by FBI agents for an hour because employees thought he was illegally recording the movie and his glass was turned off. Even if you don't have a lot of context for FBI interrogation, it still sounds like a really scary hour. I mean, this guy was just trying to watch Jack Ryan shadow recruit in peace. The incident, which took place in Columbus, Ohio, was complicated by the fact that the man's glass had prescription lenses. Had they been clear, he could have just taken them off to prove he wasn't interested in recording, but he needed them to see the movie and the employees reportedly didn't believe him. An AMC theatre spokesman told Business Insider, the people at the company are huge fans of technology and innovation, but it's not appropriate to wear a device with recording capabilities in a movie theatre. Mm. AMC also noted that it eventually contacted Homeland Security oh, God. <laughs> because his agency oversees movie theft cases. It took an hour for the feds, as they call themselves, to figure out that they could resolve the issue by checking what was on the man's glass. Eventually, after a long time, somebody came with a laptop and USB cable at which point he told me it was my last chance to come clean. The man <laughs> said, I repeated for the hundredth time, there's nothing to come clean about. There's a big misunderstanding. So the FBI guy finally connected my glass to the computer, downloaded all my personal photos and started going through them one by one. Although they were dated and it's obvious there was nothing on my glass. It was from the time period they accused me of recording. Then they went through my phone and five minutes later they concluded I had done nothing wrong. So, yeah, overreaction mm. by the feds there because, oh, my God, he's going to record a movie in low def using his glasses, which would probably get a flat battery in about half an hour to try and record a movie now, anyway. Now, that, that, that image there, Jace, that you got with that story, that, that little that guy in the background, I don't know if you can see that, but uh, look, that looks to me a little bit like Mr. Sin, do you think? Just as a, as, a side, as a side as a side in joke thingy there, but it's some some you might, you guys might know who Mr. Sin is if you do good on yours. Uh, yeah, so wearing Google Glass like that's just um, I don't know. It's just why would you even want to watch a movie filmed by Google Glass? You know, like I don't no, even, I won't terrible. even yeah I won't even watch a movie filmed with a video camera out of a cinema. Like it's just just rubbish. But yeah, another waste show of time. I was listening to this week, they'd said that. Uh, there was a guy who um, was in the credits of a movie and after the movie had finished, he had his camera there and he wanted to take a photo of his name in the credits as it went past. And they said, ah, you're recording something. And he's like, dude, the movie's finished. I just brought it out for the credits. <laughs> no, but it's it's part of the movie. Even though it's credits, the movie is still technically oh, playing, so you're in big trouble. Mate, maybe the ushers are... Seriously? Have... Come yeah. on, you guys. Go after torrent providers and not just people who are sitting here trying to watch their movie. Yeah, I know. Like, if someone's going to tape a movie, they're not going to come out with a big, you know, bulky video camera, you know, and put it up to their eye and start filming it. They're going to put, like, a little, a little, one of those little pee cameras. They feed it up through the back of their hair and just stick it out their little head. Out the front of their little head, inside dun, 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 their hair, like this. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, and then just watch it like that. 
And then you wear a big hat and it just has a little circle there and you open it up and it pokes out through there and films it. If there's a guy sitting there going like, this is, he's winding the film through, you might be a bit of a giveaway. You'd be a bit suspicious. Like, come on. Seriously, the rate they're going, people are just going to go, well, look, screw it. I'm not going to go to the movies anymore and I'm not going to buy DVDs. If I go to the movies, people are going to harass me because they think I'm going to be filming it. Mm. They're going to be watching this and get the feds onto us. If I buy a DVD, I'm going to have to sit through all these stupid ads saying don't steal DVDs, even though I just bought the damn thing, which is the whole point. That's right. I'll just go and get it from a torrent website because I can watch the whole damn show Mm. without having all this stuff being shoved down my throat that I can't skip through. Because I'm not the kind of person who wants to be doing illegal stuff, but you're forcing me to because you're a bunch of idiots. When you uh, download movies and stuff from iTunes and Play Stores and stuff, do you get all those warnings, or is it just the movie? No. It's just, just straight into the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the old, it's the old, uh, it's the old story, isn't it? Uh, the only, the only good a lock does is to keep honest people out, and that's that's all yep. they do. You know, like if you're honest, you, you know, you get it. I'm sure you get it. All right. Well, if you don't. Here's a break to have a think about it, and we'll be back shortly. Right, moving on to another story from me, because I've got a couple this week. A couple that sort of tickled my fancy. Here's another one. Uh, Mobile phone carriers reportedly losing their grip on phone sales. According to new research from this joint called Telsite, I don't know, T-E-L-S-Y-T-E, fewer than half of all smartphones sold in Australia were bought uh, via contract in 2013. So outright purchases have been growing on popularity. Around 30% of people who acquired a smartphone in 2013 bought the phone outright. Oh, man, you got a, got a lot of money or what's going on there? Uh, contracts do remain a key part of the sales mix. 43% of Australians, 16 years and older, acquired smartphones on a contract last year with free handsets and contracts that don't require extra monthly payments, particularly popular. Uh, hand-me-down phones, also very popular. And according to the Tel site, the tendency for more phone owners to upgrade their handsets at a faster rate has led to a glut of second-hand devices on the, on the internet and the, in the marketplace. A glut. What a good word that is, a glut. The trend away from buying phone contracts also suits companies like Apple and Samsung who have a preference to selling direct. So, uh, yeah, so you guys, uh, Jase, you contract? Contract boy? For my phone, yep. Yeah, Shane, contract boy? No, outright. Outright? Why? Yes. Here we go. You're one of these 30%. Why? Um, mainly because I'm still on a very good um, plan thing over from Telstra. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's fair enough. But I, I suppose, like, I, when I was looking at for my phone, I went through, and to me, it seemed to be a bit more advantageous economically wise to buy on contract. Would anyone disagree with me? The there? reason I like it is because in the past, I'm not sure about the future now because there's not that much difference. But in the past, I was changing phones all the time, and instead of waiting for two years for the two year contracts, I could just do a quicker upgrade with Telstra because they only required you to pay for the phone part of the contract out for the rest of your contract and not mm. the call part. So mm, it was okay. very cheap, maybe a few hundred dollars instead of a couple of thousand dollars mm. to pay out the contract and switch to a new phone, which is good for geeky people like me who are crazy. But um, 
crazy i gotta be on a contract no matter what i'm gonna be able to pay money for it so i might as well yeah. go on a contract well the way i looked at, the way i looked at it now i thought i can't see why 30 percent of people don't look at it like this like i know shane's got a, a valid reason so i'll let him pass with that that explanation but uh, like if you buy it like say my iphone i'm with telstra so so i'll go i've so what an iphone costs you what 700 outright so it's only six it's a 32 uh gig what's that be about 700 Outright, 760, something like that. So, okay, so you, you've got to pay, you're shelling out $760, and then you've got to go and get your, your access. So, say, with Telstra, which I wanted, so what's that, $60 a month. So, you, that's what you're up for. Now, on contract, which lasts for two years, then you're getting, you still have to go on the $60 a month contract for your calls, and then you, this MRO thing, you know, your phone repayment plan, well, that's $10 a month. So in two years, you've bought that phone for two hundred and forty bucks. Is that? Am I missing something there? But that's right, isn't it? You bought the phone for two hundred and forty bucks, so you've saved five hundred. So that's how. No. Why not? That's how I see it. So because part, even though they don't advertise it that way, part of the monthly charge, like if you're on the eighty dollars a month thing, part of that would be going towards the phone as well. But if you BYO'd your phone, you're still on that eighty dollars. Yeah. So, what does that? Where does so? What does that mean? So, you, so you still got to pay your your call charges. So, so it's eighty dollars, yeah. BYO or contract. It's eighty dollars for your calls, and then the the extra, which is with this one I've got, was ten dollars a month. That's the extra that I pay this MRO. So I'm paying two hundred and forty dollars extra than you who bought your own. And at the end of two years, I've bought my phone for two hundred and forty dollars, and you've bought yours for seven hundred. Well, that's how I yeah, I see it, what anyway. you're saying. Hmm. But if if they, I mean, Telstra lose money if, or any phone carrier would lose money if they're saying, okay, here's an eight hundred dollar phone, and you can have it for two hundred bucks or two hundred forty bucks. Yeah, but well, I don't, I don't care what Telstra does with their with their sixty. I don't care if they give the whole lot to Apple. But like, I'm still paying it. You're still paying it. We're still paying the same call cost. So, yeah, so yeah, but, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so, well, that's the way I looked at it anyway. So uh, maybe I'm losing the plot, but that's the way. But I, I, that's how I see it. Um, Jace, what else have you got for us this week? Please. Oh, that lovely story. Almost a year after the makers behind the popular mobile game Candy Crush Saga filed a trademark claim for the word candy, the filing has been approved in the United States. Now, app developers with games in the market that include candy in the title are reportedly receiving emails from Apple asking them to remove their apps from the App Store. These emails are in line with Apple's protocols. The company automatically sends out emails asking two parties to connect when a claim is filed. Such emails, therefore, don't necessarily mean the tech giant is working alongside King.com, the maker of Candy Crush. It's simply the protocol that takes place when a user files a claim against another developer. The trademark includes games and software, educational services, and, oddly enough, clothing. King.com is indeed asking other developers to remove their games according to GameZebo. King did not immediately respond to a request for comment and an Apple spokesperson declined to comment. Laying claim to a word as common as candy mm. is ruffling some feathers in the world of game developers, many of whom may not have the financial resources necessary to fight a trademark claim against more established developers such as King. Well, this and is... they make um, hundreds of thousands of dollars a day, maybe a million a day, it just was... from uh, people buying their um, extra time and more moves in Candy mm. Crush Saga. It was, you're right, it's a million, just shy apparently, of a million dollars a day. 
they make. Yep. And they've also ceased and desisted other games like, uh, I can't think of the actual name, but games like, say... There's Candy Candy Casino. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Got nothing yep. to do with what they're and doing. What are they going to say about King Candy from Candyland <laughs> in Wreck-It Ralph? Oh, no. Crush it. They're going to crush it. <laughs> He's King and Candy. Now, they're, they're King.com. That's, uh... And the gamers, they've trademarked the word Candy. So King Candy is in deep yeah. trouble. Watch out, Disney. It is in deep doo-doos. But, yeah, look, there's more. I think on the uh, Aussie Max Zone this week, uh, go and have a listen to that, AussieMaxZone.com.au. I think we did go into a bit more depth with that story and and had a bit yeah, of a... Prior art, you can't kick off people who've already had their candy games out well, for a few right. years and go, well, now we've registered it. We'll go back and find everybody in existence who've ever had the word candy in a game yeah. and we're going to sue the heck out of them. But what they're going to say is, we might, mm. we just might, and uh, have you got the money to fight us? No. Mm. So take your game out. Yeah. And well, that's... what does it do? It just upsets the people who've been spending their years trying to make decent games for people. Yeah. And of course, their game isn't infringing because it was there first. Look, I so, think, yeah, um, I think it's the, really no case. I think the trick is here is uh, if you're so King has trademarked the crush, not the crush word. So the problem is candy. The, pending. Did you say candy and saga oh. are the words? Oh, okay. Have. So the trick is now Jason has already say Jace has had a uh, app in the app store, the casino slots experience number two or something. You've had that there for five years, right? You well before Candy Crush. You had an app when the on the Apple Two C. You 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 well yep. before that. Uh, but what happens is then they send him a send you a little cease and desist or whatever they like to call it these days, and they say, "Can you stop using this? We've trademarked that." Now Jace has to make a decision. He goes, "This is BS." Or have I got ten thousand dollars to just write back and say no, go jump? Say yep. you don't have, you're not going to be bothered doing ten thousand dollars to say go jump. So they win. That's no, how it, it just works. turns you into a patent troll and IP troll and pisses everybody off. That's right. There's so many developers. I follow a lot of developers on Twitter, and there's so many of them that are really, really pissed off, calling for boycotts of all King.com games right. and um, rallying against them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that's that's good. Like, But remember, there's the same with uh, music piracy and all this sort of stuff. They, they were going to put into the torrents some sort of filter, you know, like to try and mandate a filter into the database there and anything with, you know, the, I don't know, um, what's the name of a song? Fernando. So any, anything with Fernando, that you know, in the title of the file, they're going to strip it down and take it away. But then, you know, they, they the owners of these databases, they're just going to say, all right, we'll just call Fernando F1 Nando. Or something, you know, yeah. and and stuffy little search bot thing, but yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah, I have a question. I have a question or something to contribute. Yes, is it really King.com's fault for asking the question about getting that trademarked, or is it the court's fault for saying yes, you can trademark the the word? Well, it's I... the um, trademark company that's allowing people to do trademarks mm. and patents on stuff that are common words. I mean, you know, there was a thing where. Um, um, Apple was saying to Microsoft, you can't trademark the word Windows. It's a common, it's a common word. And they're like, well, what about Apple? Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty common as well. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah. I think like the rules of the trademark are, and, and probably in a, in a tiny bit of King's defense, just the tiniest, the tiny bits in their defense, is that if you have got a trademark, you are required to protect it. 
So if you feel yep. that there's uh, some nasty, dodgy candy crushes going on elsewhere, then you, you're required to go and fight and, and protect your trademark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. If you just I mean, sit on example. it after a while, they're going to say, well, you haven't cared about any of the other ones, so you can't care about this new one that's mm. better than yours that has the word candy in, so therefore it's forfeit. So you just have to go out and attack every little Tom, Dick and Harry who's got a tiny little company of me and my mate what make games yeah. and crush them. Yeah. yeah, there's an example of a fish and chip shop in Adelaide called Frying Nemo, and Disney are going after them like they're the world's worst bloody, you know, trademark infringers, and they're just a fish and chip company. Hmm. Yeah, the problem with those things is they have to trademark it in a specific area, so that's why you can go out and buy a Linux shampoo and conditioner and Linux soap and other products like that because it's yeah. spelled the same way as the operating system Linux. You but got some because of that, their trademark only covers computers and multimedia and, uh, you know, operating systems and things. It doesn't cover shampoo. Then you can make one called Linux and sell it and even stick a penguin on if you really want to. Have you, have you got a collection of the Linux men's toiletries? I should go get some, right? <laughs> I mean, yes, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good little nerd thing, isn't it? Little tech head's got the... Got the, the the Linux shampoo going. He's got the Linux brill cream <laughs> brushed with the Linux toothpaste. Oh. As recommended and used by Linus Torvalds daily. <laughs> That's right. The Linux gargle. Oh, I love it. It's got essence of Linus Torvalds in it. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, we've got heaps more. We'll be back soon. Do you want to listen to more tech shows? AussieTechRadio.com. That's right. And why not bump it up on Australia Day, eh? AussieTechRadio.com. Let all your friends listen to the, some great tech shows from around Australia and New Zealand. It's all there. Shoutcast your way into uh, tech heaven. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so there's our show, Aussie Max Zone. There's uh, TechWebcast.info, another good little Australian podcast there that uh, has a lot quite interesting interviews every week. So give that one a listen. And, uh, there's heaps more. A couple more from there's a game, there's a game podcast, there's LinkedIn podcast, there's uh, Garth. Garth, uh, remember Garth? He used to do the the uh, the um, Apple reviews for us not too long ago. We should try and get him back actually. But yeah, there's uh, there's heaps, there's heaps of podcasts there. So they just roll around, and there's new ones every Friday. So you don't get stuck in the old oh, I've heard this before routine. All right, and talking about people jumping on other people, Google uses YouTube performance. To rate ISPs, the video quality report will first be available in Canada. Uh, so, so what that means is it's not available here or anywhere else. It's only in Canada at the moment. But where users will be able to see how their ISP's network performs in specific regions, unlike many other performance tests, the video quality report doesn't spit out a number of megabytes per second, but one of three things. The top one is HD verified, which means users should be able to watch videos in HD at least 720p and with fast load times most of the t most of the time. To get the rating, the operator's network has to perform to at least 90%. Uh, the sustained uh, speed needed to qualify is over 2.5 megabits per second. Now, the other ratings are the standard definition and lower definition. Uh, that means that users can watch videos in standard def, which is at least 360p with moderate load times or with a resolution lower than 360p. Videos will also load slowly and may stop to rebuffer over networks that have had the lowest rating. So I hate 
how YouTube buffers, even on my connection, which is a fair a fair connection. Sometimes you find that odd video that just buffers. And uh, look, what I reckon is, as, as I was reading through this story, uh, actually on this page, if you go to the uh, show notes at aussietechheads.com.au, you'll see there is a link to the video quality report or the page from Google that will will uh, let you rate your ISP if you're in Canada. If not, you have to wait for it. But you can still see some other other interesting things. And now one of them was saying that YouTube does send YouTube videos around to the different servers in different parts of the world. So when you connect to the to their service and you want to watch a video, it will it will connect to the server closest to you to play that video. Now, I would suspect that if you're looking at videos that don't get played much, they're probably in a little server over in Uzbekistan or something. And that's why I reckon why they buffer. Now, yeah, so the rating for an ISP can be split into various time slices, for example, hours, hourly, daily, or weekly, as well as different geographical levels. Google's goal was to present a rating that is meaningful, easy to understand, and one that closely reflects the real-world internet. They're all about the real-world internet. The company didn't give any details of when the report will become available to outside Canada and blah, 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 just goes on from there. So, uh, well, I think that'd be that'd be fairly uh, interesting report. I, I'd be looking up something like that. Um, yeah, that's uh, probably a bit of a, probably nothing to talk about there. Jace, nothing to, I don't think there's anything to talk about there. Just good good on Google, that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good on, it's good interesting on. to see, you know, they do a comparison, I guess you could, with... Uh, speedtest.net and other websites that measure the speeds and see what areas are getting good speeds. And maybe mm. if you want to move home at some stage, you want to check those first. So if your internet speeds really matter to you, make sure you're getting in a good area. Yeah. I was out at a, at a, at a customer's place today and it, like, this is like central Gold Coast. I don't know if any, if anyone knows Gold Coast, it's like at uh, Mermaid Beach, which is pretty much central. And he's in a block of units no ADSL, nothing. He has to have 4G, which was like one bar switching between three bars of 3G. It was just internet all over the place. It was just rubbish. It can't get ADSL because of whatever reason that the phone lines come into the big apartment complex and go into the manager's office. And apparently, yeah, the ADSL won't travel through the switchboard. And But how? that's pretty bad, eh? He's got to rely on that. But anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, Shane, what else you got for us, please? Uh, just a quick uh, story. One of those stories that we used to say only in America, but unfortunately this one happens to be here. It's a story that involves uh, the Australian Open, which is almost coming to a conclusion. Aussie tennis fan smashes TV with tablet and blames Channel 7. <laughs> There's a video attached to um, to this as well. I don't know whether you want to kind of play that at the end of my little... Um, Where's the video? Yeah, finish reading. Oh, yeah, okay. It's, Keep going. Yep. Yeah. I'll see if I can. Uh, so, car company Kia uh, for the Australian Open tennis are uh, challenging people to return a virtual serve on their phone, uh, but now someone has put uh, a tablet through their TV trying to beat the game. The competition is simple: use an app you download on a phone and return a virtual serve made by the current world record holder, Aussie player Sam Groth. Swing the phone at your TV, and if you return it, you go into the draw to win a Kia car. Last night, which was a few nights ago. Australian Open commentary on Channel 7 revealed that a viewer had complained to the network over the app-based stunt after he threw his tablet through his TV. What? Do you think he's Elvis or something? This guy. <laughs> Obviously, you gotta you got to swing the phone like you've got a tennis racket, and he must have whacked it. Yeah, he must have put that much oomph into it. The phone slipped out of his hand. Kind of like the, the thing with the Wii. 
Um, it goes on to say that the complaint was revealed during Sam Gross' stint as a guest commentator during the Rafael Nadal match against Aussie's 17-year-old. Um, I can't pronounce that guy's name. I was actually saying that, uh, saying that to them while I was shooting it. Uh, that someone might be uh, that this might be an issue where obviously they throw their phone or whatever through the TV. It's unclear what action, if any, seven are going to take. So none. <laughs> yeah, so, reminds me when I got my first iPhone and I got this app that you could swing the iPhone around and pretend it's like a golf stick, and you could have a look on there and see how hard you hit it, and the ball, virtual ball, would go flying depending on. How your how fast your wrist went, and one of the guys at work was like, "Oh, can I have a go at that?" And he went swing, but the phone slipped out of the case and went flying down the hallway. <laughs> it's like, "Oh man, I just broke your phone that you only bought half an hour ago." Oh no! Like, That's the first iPhone. <laughs> uh, do any of us here use uh, Log Me In? I do. Not anymore, Something. right? Right? Not anymore. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, Log Me In has pulled the plug on free remote access. Rage has erupted on the internet. <laughs> this is crazy rage. Rawr! People don't like getting their free stuff taken away, do they? Like, pretty um, pathetic, I think. You know, like, it, it's free. And so now they've long been decided to uh, charge for <laughs> charge for their own product. <laughs> oh, God forbid. God forbid charge for your own stuff. And then people have been left... Uh, engulfed in rage. Uh, LogMeIn announced uh, Tuesday that it would shut the free remote access service, which lets people connect to as many as 10 computers for remote support, transferring files and online demonstrations. It said it was immediately halting new registrations and would require current users to pick up a paid plan. Current users will have seven days from the day they next use LogMeIn to pay up or lose the free service. The uh, company has sent emails to users and will notify them of the change when they run the software on the PC, Mac, or mobile device. LogMeIn's least expensive plan costs $99 annually. Does it? I thought I only paid $56. Oh, maybe I'm getting ripped. Maybe they put it up. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and allows access to only two computers. Although the company is halving that fee to $49 for the first year to entice users into signing up. Now, as I said... Rage has erupted. Now, here's one comment. Thanks for giving us loads of notice to sort something else out. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Said this guy. <laughs> you get seven days and there's plenty of other free services, so yeah. off you go. Yeah, but like, thanks for the short notice. Like, he's not going to buy it anyway because he will obviously go on somewhere else anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> come on. Like, is he, is he don't serious? give up a chance to have a whinge and a bit of a rage. Yeah, I know. But, uh, that's most... what the internet's for, people. <laughs> You can't believe it, but look, there's other other free stuff out there for the moment. Yeah, like uh, the Team Viewer. There's another. That's a pretty good one, actually. If I if I didn't pay for, the I little... use it all the time. It's fantastic, especially it when I need to um, do stuff on my daughter's computer and she lives in another state. So mm. I just use Team Viewer. She starts it up, tells me the password. I take over the computer, fix it up, and where we go. Yeah, it's great. It's really it's that is that is good. It is really good. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, so just be careful if you've got logged me in and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, watch out. Watch your inbox for some, for some terrible news. Then hit, the, hit their forum and, uh, <laughs> and just erupt and spew hatred because that's what everyone else is apparently doing. But, yeah, turn it up, I reckon. God, that's their product. They do what they want. That's obviously how they're yeah. going to go. Yeah. Uh, see you after this. Google loses Android patent lawsuit. 
He's another Google story. <gasps> Faces uh, claim for $125 million in damages. What's this one about? This one is now Simple Air. Now, I bet you no one knows what Simple Air is. Simple Air is a company that is seeking the $125 million in damages from Google after a jury found that push notification services in Android infringe on a Simple Air patent. That's one of those patent things again, the company said. Now, Google declined to comment on the case, but uh, one of Google's attorneys asked for a mistrial on all issues. A court document showed. Now, its patent portfolio is licensed by several technology companies. So everyone knows what the push technology is. That's when you get a message, tweet or Facebook or whatever, pushes up on your screen. So, you know, it's got it. Now, um, Apple settled a patent lawsuit with Simple Air in 2012. Companies entered into a confidential license agreement... Uh, early in, include uh, Microsoft, BlackBerry, and the likes. So obviously, I don't know why Google thought they were going to win that one. Everyone, everyone else has lost. So uh, yeah, maybe they thought uh, fourth time lucky. Yeah, maybe. But uh, anyway, that's uh, Google for you. They got heaps of money. All right, uh, Jace, have you got anything else for us? Oh, yeah, the fastest ever broadband speeds have been achieved in a test that hit 1.4 terabytes per second. Ooh. Imagine how many movies you could get that. Enough to transmit a four, transmit 44 high-definition movies in just one second. Wow. British telecom and French networking company Alcatel-Lucent conducted the test on the existing fiber network in London with the hope of maximizing the efficiency of the current infrastructure and avoiding costly upgrades. They've got fibre network in London. I would like to be fibre. Hello, Tony Abbott. No, don't worry about it. No, okay. It's a reaction to the growth of demand for video content. The managing director of technology analyst from Telsite, Fode Fadagi, told Fairfax Media, it's about reducing the cost of carrying vast amounts of data over the coming years. The chief executive of broadband analyst firm Point Topic, Oliver Johnson, agreed, telling the BBC, BT and Alcatel Lucent are making more from what they've got. It allows them to increase their capacity without having to spend much more money. Researchers used to what is known as FlexiGrid infrastructure, creating an alien super channel made up of seven 200 gigabits per second channels. The channels, the paths of data travel between two nodes on the network, were combined to give a total capacity of 1.4 terabytes per second. Is it That's London? Not too bad. No, is it London or England that has the fiber in the sewers? Is that over there? Must be, yeah. It's somewhere, but look, what a great idea. Like, I know Brisbane thought about doing that. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, I think uh, who owns the sewers? Probably the, the council network, I guess, or the state. Guess, but, yeah. but it's got to be easier than going through uh, going through Telstra these days, being half, you know, um, uh, half public owned or privately owned. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but anyway, that's, yeah, like, well, everyone's got a sewer. Like, everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got. Everyone makes a phone call. Everyone's got a poo. Everyone's got a sewer. Yep. Yeah. See, Prime Minister, fiber <laughs> is good. It is. Hey, lots of fiber and fiber, fiber, fiber. <laughs> yeah, two ways. <laughs> You're thinking the same thing, right? <laughs> that's right. Yes. Lots of fiber in the sewers. That's right. <laughs> we want fiber in our sewers. Maybe Kellogg's uh, all brand could sponsor it or something. <laughs> Putting fiber in your sewer. <laughs> all right. Now, Shano, I think you've got one last story. Well, you you can you feel free to jump in and comment on any of these. Um, well, I'm just I'm just uh, wondering what the people on that still have septic tanks think about the whole thing because I'll miss out on 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 your oh, plan no. to have 
Well, they're in the sewer. Well, they're missing out anyway, are they? They got nothing out. They got. <laughs> they might have. They might have to get one of these little devices you're going to talk about next. Yes. So on that note, I will. My last story is, or my last legit story. I've got like an anecdotal one that I want to mention later if we get time. We will. Uh, Vodafone finally releases 4G modem and Wi-Fi hotspots with plans to match. Vodafone has had a fast 4G network for some time now. However, customers with multiple devices have been waiting for something that can connect all of them uh, at once. Enter the 4G pocket Wi-Fi hotspot from Vodafone, able to connect up to 10 devices at once. Nice. Both the new USB broadband device and the pocket Wi-Fi hotspot will be available on the new 4G data plans from Vodafone. All of Vodafone's new 4G devices are classed as Category 4, meaning theoretical speeds of 150 megabits per second are possible. Those speeds are highly theoretical and real-world uh, speeds are probably going to be around half um, will be considered as good. Can and you have- as you can see, there's the plans there. Can you have degrees of um, theoreticalists, theoreticalisms, to like highly theoretical speed? That's very, that's, that's highly theoretical. Oh, dear, dear. Oh, that, that's not really that theoretical, is it? I mean, but, no, I think theoretical is an absolute. And, so those, uh, those little things. Now, can you buy one of these little 4G hotspot, pocket hotspot things? And can you plug anything into that? Or are they, they probably locked a Vodafone, aren't they? I would imagine. I'd say that's No. What... Well, yeah, it'd be the Vodafone phone network, but you could hook up any Wi-Fi device to it. Yeah, it'll let you have up to, like, five devices. Yeah, but I meant, like, can you put a Telstra SIM in it? Like, and then... Oh, yeah. They might well, you could. That. Whether it works or not is another matter. <laughs> no, that wouldn't work technically because part of the authentication on the network is it actually checks to see which SIM you've got in there. Mm, okay, fair enough. Now, uh, Jace, can you tell us how the Google Smart Contact Lens works? Oh, this is this is you, you're our little wearable tech guru, aren't you? That's me. All right, wearable devices already bringing technology much closer than you ever may have expected, but Google has kicked up a whole new level. The company last week announced a project to make smart contact lens, but this gadget isn't going to be used to deliver your email straight into your skull. At least not yet. The project is working to tackle one of the biggest health problems facing us today, diabetes. Given the wariness around wearable devices and their capabilities for data collection, the idea that the company would get that much closer raises the question, how would Google handle this data? Or for that matter, how can any commercial company stepping in new world collecting sensitive data, medical data, deal with security concerns? It's a question that Google's clearly thought a lot about says the te- chief technologist at the Centre for Democracy and Technology, who was briefed on the lens before the company's announcement. Hall said that Google assured him the data would not be added to the company's banks of personal information gathered from the servers. The data will never hit their servers, and that's forward-thinking affirmative claim they're making. That is important. And so you uh, wear the uh, contact lenses, and it measures the glucose level in your tears and can transmit the information to uh, phone or computer and uh, help you to to know what your glucose levels are, which is, uh, of course, very important for diabetics. Yeah, nice. Yes. And that is, that is on Apparently, the rise. Apparently, uh, Microsoft launched something a couple of years ago, but nobody heard about it, so Google's in. <laughs> As in, like, the, uh, a contact lens? That measures glucose, yeah. Oh, are you being serious that they did all these? It's very funny because of the way the tablet no, was. they did, but nobody heard about it. So, oh, you know how do they, Microsoft are promoting yeah. their stuff. Do they have to fire their marketing team or what? Like, seriously? Yes. 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 Like, 
well, they they had the tablet, didn't they? They had the tablet ten years ago or something. And that's right. Oh yeah. man, they had the cert. The they surface. tried to make it too much like Windows on the desktop. That was a problem. If they made it more mm. tablety, and you know, you could actually use it very well without having to mm. try and click on tiny little cross in the top of the screen to shut down a program. Mm, yes. All right. Now, look. Uh, when we come back, Shane has got an anecdote for us. So we can't wait. We'll hear that when we come back. Shane, tell us about this anecdote thing that you want to tell us about. It was just a story that I um, saw on, as I frantically kind of try and find it now because you put me on the spot. Um, I think it was under the technology section of news.com.au where it was a video um, where I think the guy's name is Jimmy Fallon. He's a talk show host in America. Oh, yep. He was interviewing Bill Gates and they're talking about his, you know, his, how much he's got, how much money he's got and the fact that he um, puts it to good cause, you know, good use and he's apparently eradicated polio pretty much everywhere. And we noticed that every time Bill would actually answer a question, he'd be looking slightly away or slightly behind him. And as we kind of later discovered, the, the host of the show, um, Richie Jimmy Fallon or whatever his name is, had a um, Macintosh laptop on the desktop <laughs> while he was interviewing Bill Gates. So he kind of, he awkwardly kind of closed it and put it underneath the desk and he took away the iPhone and took away <laughs> everything else he had off the desk. It was just funny to kind of watch, but it's pretty sure it's under the technology part of um, mm. uh, news.com. But surely, like, what do you think that Gates would be worried about that now? Well, so what he's saying, he wasn't actually, he wasn't looking, he was looking at the, the computer or he was looking away from it. So he couldn't see no, it. He was, he, he was being distracted by the computer. He was, instead of looking at the the guy's face, he kind of kept looking to the at side. At the apple. Yeah. The guy kind of turned around and went, what are you looking at? Oh, are you looking at the... <laughs> oh, right. Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that would it'd probably worry Steve Jobs. I don't know if it would worry Bill too much these days. But, uh, but you, you, know, you can never, can't tell, I suppose. All right. Uh, okay, time time to wrap it up. Yay, we're at the end of another show. That went really fast, that show, so I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed that show. It was really uh, chatty, wasn't it? Had, had a lot to say this week. All right, so thanks for listening. If you're listening on uh, 104.5 FM, Phase FM, so thanks for tuning in to us there. Uh, if you've missed us on the, on the 104.5, you can catch us on iTunes in the podcast section, audio and video, or the video at youtube.com forward slash Aussie techheads also facebook.com forward slash aussie techheads and also don't forget the web page at aussietechheads.com.au we are we want to be found if you're looking for us you will find us don't you worry you got anything to say you want to give us some feedback or anything like that you can send us a, an email glenn jason shane uh whoever will when he's here and eric and whatever so anyone at aussietechheads.com.au and also the Twitters. The show's Twitter is at Aussie Techheads. My Twitter is at Glenn Goodman. Shane is at Shane1973 with a Y. And Jason is at Warlock, W-A-U-L-O-K. All right. Uh, every every day, pretty much, we, I try and put up a iOS free app of the day. So normally you have to pay for it. Uh, but that on that particular day, it will be free. So most days, so they're starting to get a bit repetitive. I've noticed since I've been doing it for some time now. But if there's any good ones, I think there was the whole works of Shakespeare the other day. So you just you just grab them for the hell of it, don't you? Just in case sometime in your future life you might want to read it. Macbeth. Alas, poor Yorick. Yes, I knew him well. Yes, and uh, Jason. I knew him, Horatio. 
And Jace puts up the Android. Yes, well, I don't you don't know that one. Now, Jace puts up the Android. Uh, I'm gathering that's Black Adder. Is that right? Would that be right? No, the, the actual one from William Shakespeare was, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio, but for some reason became known as I knew him well. Oh, right. Oh, there you go. Jace, Jace he's, he's, he downloaded I that. Had this, uh, <laughs> when I was in uh, high school, there was a uh, book that I really enjoyed reading called The Dictionary of Misinformation, and that was one of the things. That also, you know, Sherlock never said um, elementary, my dear Watson. He said elementary. Sometimes he also said my dear Watson, but he never said the sentence or phrase elementary, yeah, right. my dear Watson. Yeah, it's funny that. And I think the same goes with Dr. Spock. It was never Dr. Spock, was it? It was Mr. Mr. Spock. Spock. Yes, yep. yes. But where where does these things come from? Live long and prosper. Yes, where where do these things come from? Well, Doctor Spock's and yeah, whatever's. All right, now what else? That's about it, isn't it? I think I think we're 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 out. Um, I've I've done everything. I've mentioned everything. So there's only one thing left to do, and that is to say goodbye to Jason and goodbye to Shane. See you, Jason, and see you later. See you, Shane, and uh, happy. Astra- hope you guys have a happy Australia Day. And everyone out there listening, hope you everyone has a happy Australia Day. Don't forget to just take time out and I don't know. Think about the origins of the country. That's right. Watch the cricket. Have a beer. Shags and beer. Jump in the pool. Do whatever you like because it's your day. All right. So until next week, thanks for listening and stay happy and we'll see you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye.